There's a Bible verse out there that's caused a lot of controversy that you probably have heard misunderstood. And so we're going to explore that today. Welcome back to the Things You Don't Hear in Church podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ethan. I'm Derry. And with us, we have Abby Elliott. She has her master's degree of theology, and she has literally written a 25-page paper on the topic that we're talking about today. So she is, in my opinion, uh, a definite authority on the topic of some kind more than the a, authority the authority the yeah. final authority more 25 than 25 pages it's all it takes yeah. there we go <laughs> so i'll write a 20 a 26 page paper and then you'll the be opposite the authority. you yeah, <laughs> yes there we go no but um an authority in the way that she knows a lot more than me and dairy and she's definitely put in hours and hours and hours of research into this topic and doesn't come at it with a malicious intent or with a preconceived notion that she's going to try to then make the text prove. She um, is one of the staff members of our Bible school here, Mm -hmm. and she shares her wisdom on the Bible in many different locations and in various books. And so she's been studying the Bible for like inductively and professionally for maybe 10 years about. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. She said a little less. Oh, a little, a little less. less. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so knows how to study the Bible, knows what she's talking about when she's talking about how to study the Bible, exegete scripture like we all want to do. And so we're going to get into it. Today's topic is the role of women in church or authority of mm-hmm. women in church. Specifically, we're going to be looking at first or second. Is it the first time? First Timothy 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 11 yes. through 14. Yeah. Nice. My notes are not in front of me. This is the second time we recorded this podcast. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> the first time we recorded it, uh, the audio didn't record. Yeah. We went to edit it. And it was like an hour long or more an hour podcast. And a half. Yeah. We went to go edit it. No audio the whole time. I was like, I almost cried. It was a great yeah, time. We, yeah, we, had a good, we had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice practice awesome. run. Round two. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So we've known Abby for a number of years and she's, definitely taught us in a lot of different ways and a lot of a lot of people here in, uh, in Honolulu about how to read the Bible so we're excited to have you on and we're excited for our audience to get the honor of listening to you help us understand this complex scripture that that is kind of caused a lot of people some either maybe they've been upset about it or that people have been mad at Christians because of it mm-hmm. or women have maybe felt like we said yesterday surplanted or I said yesterday uh <laughs> surplanted um because of this uh but yeah we'll get into it do you want me to read it like we did yesterday or do you want to just read it and then jump into it yeah i can i can read it and jump into it cool Uh, after that yeah thanks for having me on again and uh and also for just giving time to this topic because it is really important and ethan like you were saying it is a bit of a uh, I don't say maybe touchy issue. People are passionate about it. Oh, it's yeah. one of those topics yeah. where you get a reaction from people. People are very emotionally invested, I think, on both sides of the discussion. And and yeah, my goal really is to just share some things that I've learned from, from actual authorities on this on this topic and hopefully communicate their ideas and their research well in a way that's easy to understand and grasp because it's been really helpful for me to go through um, some research on this verse and try and figure out what scripture says and how we can apply it in a way that's honoring to scripture uh, because we want to submit to scripture in what it's teaching, regardless of whether that 
uh, goes against our personal opinions or not. Um, and I think that's pretty much where everyone's at when they're coming to this text is for most people, they're just genuinely, genuinely trying to understand what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, the text that we're going to focus on is 1 Timothy 2, uh, 11 through 14. I'm going to read it and then, or 11 through 15. I'm going to read it and then uh, I think it'll become obvious why this is the verse that we've chosen. Uh, so starting in verse 11, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So uh, the issue surrounding this verse has to do with women in ministry. And not so much can women be in ministry. I think everyone agrees that that is the case. It's more so in what capacity, right? Mm. So in other words, are there some roles that I cannot hold in the church just on the basis of gender? Um, and typically those revolve around teaching um, and then roles of leadership and authority. Right. And the reason I chose this verse is because... Um, 1 Timothy 2, verse 12 is the verse. Uh, it, it's the uh, like bedrock of this conversation. Um, and the reason for that is because, fun fact, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 12 is the only verse in scripture that uh, explicitly prohibits women from teaching. And on top of that, uh, it is only one of two passages that restrict the speech of women in general. And the other one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I believe. Right, mm -hmm. right. So that's why the focus on this one, this really is like a key passage in the whole conversation. Um, and yeah, it's controversial. And really, um, yeah, the goal here is how did the author or Paul mean this this passage to be understood and how does he right. want the text to be applied and then we want to be faithful to that that's the goal cool heck yeah heck yeah okay um so the way that i think it's helpful to frame this conversation is really to hone in on one question and it's a question that we should all be asking every time we read the bible and the question is, is this passage, are the instructions in this passage universal or are they culturally specific? Right. If they're universal, that means that we are free to directly take this text, pull it over to today and directly immediately apply it regardless of time, culture, setting, hmm. universal. Right. If it's culturally specific, and I, I want to emphasize this, we don't just tear it out of the Bible. We still learn from it and we still apply it even, right. but right. it needs some modifying, okay, to our culture. Um, we have to find similar situations in order to appropriately and responsibly apply the text. So I think people sometimes don't realize that we do this constantly when we read the Bible. 
Um, sometimes when we talk about this passage being culturally specific, people think you're kind of pulling this like get out of jail free card, like, oh, culture, uh, it's right. culturally specific. So we don't have to look at that. Dismiss it, um, yeah. Yeah, we can dismiss it. And um, there may be some people that are, that are doing that, but the reality is, is all biblical instruction have to go through this grid. And so I think it helps to give an illustration, if I may. Um, an example, I think of a command we can all agree that's universal is the famous, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Uh, this command really isn't culturally specific and it can be directly applied no matter what time or culture or age you live in. Yeah. On the flip side, um, there is a command, a direct command that's found five times in the New Testament. That is to greet one another with a holy kiss. Mm. And uh, I think most, if not all people, uh, agree that this command is still an imperative, is culturally specific, right? Yeah. So or we got it wrong. We got to start doing some weird things. Or we got it wrong and we've been living in sin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, it, yeah, but there's that decision you have to make. And if you go the route, hey, this is culturally specific, you don't actually ignore it, you modify it. So what you actually ask is, okay, so what was the heart behind this repeated command to greet one another with a holy kiss? Well, in the ancient world, greeting someone with a kiss was this uh, creating this environment of welcoming and warmth, mm -hmm. right? If someone comes into your mm -hmm. church, this is going to be a place where you're embraced. The heart of that command stays the same today. The application is modified. Right. right. Um, now we have people I, outside churches with signs saying, we're happy you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Okay. So uh, an adapted version is like, we're happy you're here. We have greeters at the door. We're going to hug mm -hmm. you when you come in. Maybe not 2020, but like right. hugs, yeah. smiles, handshakes. We want this to be a warm place and people feel embraced when they come. Right. Right. If we were to just directly apply kissing someone when they walked in the door, that would actually be an inappropriate application of what the author intended right, right? right. that's like assault and if someone that's me i would call 911 and i would say right. i have just been assaulted so you can directly apply someone and feel really like faithful to the text and totally do a disservice to what the author meant to do mm -hmm. um so that that's kind of setting the stage for that question because that is the question with first timothy 2 12 right. is paul's right. instructions universal in which case, all women, no matter what time or culture you live in, you should not be teaching. I should not be even doing this is questionable. Right. Um, Unless your or, husband says, okay, maybe maybe David says, fine. We don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. First Timothy doesn't say anything about that. So I don't know. Seems clear from scripture. Um, <laughs> so, or is it culturally specific? In which case we go, okay, well, what was the intent? And how do we faithfully apply that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a helpful framework for the text is we got to figure out which of the two it is. Um, and, and so that's what hopefully we can do together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least let's do my, it. my answer. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, uh, so to begin uh, to kind of set the stage for first Timothy, it's important to just give a quick note about genre. Mm -hmm. So first Timothy, as you both know, um, is a letter or an epistle. And that's important because um, scholars recognize that the epistle is the most occasional of all genres in scripture. 
Um, and by occasional, what I mean is that the setting or the context with which it was written plays a very large part in understanding the meaning, more so than right. other genres. Right. Um, and the reason for this is simply because you're listening in on one half of a conversation. Mm. Timothy and Paul are in communication. We have one half of the conversation and we need to approach it asking what was the setting? What was the context? And let that yeah. influence our interpretations. Um, on top of that, First Timothy is also a pastoral epistle, which mm -hmm. means that among the letters, it is among the most intimate and personal mm -hmm. um, of the epistles. And um, the reason for this is because Paul's writing to Timothy, uh, who is somebody that he has been, he's been working with Timothy for over a decade at this point right. in their yeah. relationship. Timothy knows Paul's doctrine backward and forward. Mm. Uh, Paul calls Timothy his uh, child in the faith. Um, mm. And this is important. The reason I'm saying this is because they have a lot of shared information between them. And uh, it's kind of hard to explain. So I'm going to use an illustration. Um, the more shared information uh, between people, the more gaps of knowledge there are going to be in the communication. So I'm going to give you an illustration to uh, illustrate what I mean. I think everyone can immediately see that this is true. Um, uh, let's say that I, you guys were listening in on one half of my conversation on the telephone. Mm -hmm. And I'm calling a complete stranger. We have absolutely no shared information. Uh, and you're just listening to my end. You're going to get almost all the details of this conversation. Because I have to start right, from yeah. the beginning. Hi, my name's Abigail. I work with YWAM. And I'm calling because because they don't mm. know anything. So you're going to get like a ton of just well thought out info. On the other hand, if, if you heard me talking to my husband, David, and you only had my end of the conversation, um, it would probably be, sound like code because there's yeah. just so much we already know. Like, hey, uh, did you pick that thing up at the store I asked you to? What time are we leaving? Did you deal with this thing? Because we just I know so much. Um, and so sometimes with these pastoral epistles, Paul and Timothy are just responding to things that they have a lot of shared information about and we're left going wait could you tell us more like could you give us more mm. info why why did you just say that so quickly um mm. it's because we're eavesdropping and mm. so I, I say all that to say we should come to first timothy as a letter expecting that the setting and the context is going to play a part in our interpretation mm -hmm rather than, as I have seen it done, approach First Timothy like a treatise on uh, church government. Right, yeah. Right. Where we're not really thinking about the setting or the context or asking the questions, do these connect? Um, we're looking at it like Paul sat down and said, Let, how do we organize a church? Let me write that out. Hmm. Right, right. And we were saying yesterday, even to the point of like, some people take it to say, oh, maybe even civilly, like in hmm. civic law, you know, maybe women shouldn't be, having authority in those regards you know and it's like yeah. so that's kind of like where we're trying to figure out it's like oh is this about church order or civic order or are we totally missing the point when we say it's about any church order at all mm -hmm. universal yeah at least yeah that's a really good point um if this is universal and universally paul is saying it isn't appropriate for any woman at any time to have any authority over any man you start mm. to think about the implications of that and you're like, oh, which people have, right? 
Right. Um, can a woman be a CEO? Can a woman be a manager at a restaurant? Um, right. There's actually a well-known book that debates whether or not a woman can give instructions to a man about like directions, like where to go. Wow. Technically right. you're like instructing him. Like this yeah. is the kind of conversations that can sometimes, uh, not always, but can sometimes turn into that. Because mm-hmm. if it's universal, we're left to go, okay, across the board. And how does that, how does we work that out? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you define all those things? Like it can be so much more complicated. Right. Yeah, right. Authority. Should women be like school teachers or high school teachers or serve on boards of any of that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And so for those who are on the other side of the discussion, who take these to be universal, that's a big topic amongst um, themselves is, okay, how does this actually play out in our, in our church? Right. Can a woman lead worship? Can they pray before worship? Um, And again, their heart is uh, for the most part, I want to be faithful to the text. And so how do I do that? And it can get complicated. Yeah, absolutely. Seems like it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that's my case for why we should look at the setting of Timothy. So that's what I want to do now is what is our setting? What's our context? And why is Paul writing this letter? Um, you guys mentioned that my husband and I helped to run a Bible school here. And one of the things we make our students do for each book they study is in one sentence, summarize what they believe is the reason written. Like, why was this book written? And some books are super challenging to try and narrow that down. Um, First Timothy, thankfully, Paul is pretty clear right away um, in his purpose. So I'm going to read from First Timothy. This is ESV chapter one, verses one through seven. Hmm. And as I'm reading, uh, if you're listening, um, just think about, okay, from this, what's Paul's uh, reason for this letter? Why is he Hmm. sending the letter? Um, so starting in verse one, uh, he says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God, our savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hmm. Quick note. This is normally when uh, a letter would have a Thanksgiving portion where Paul would say, I thank God for you. I think about you in my prayers daily, but Paul's going to skip that part. Um, and get right to the point, which sort of tells us a bit about his urgency in this letter. Verse three, he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is in faith. The aim of our charge is love that uh, issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so we have like our scene set. Um, This is very helpful. Thankfully, Paul did this. Um, We learned that Timothy is in Ephesus because of Paul's urging. And the reason he is there is to put a stop to false teachers. Um, There are false teachers in the church and Timothy's goal, his purpose in being there is to stop this false teaching from happening. 
So already, hopefully, we're thinking, oh, that might be relevant to our target passage, which is about right. teaching. Yeah. Um, and I like this note about the teachers. They're confident. They're making confident assertions. And Paul says, hmm. but they're making it without understanding. Um, hmm. They seem really confident. They seem like an authority. And yet, when they speak, they actually don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, that's so a great These are these teachers. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's our setting. And so we want to say, okay, what do we know about these false teachers and what's going on in, uh, in the church? So I'm going to summarize uh, kind of what we know. So in the letter, Paul actually names uh, two false teachers. Their names are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he actually gives instruction that they be excommunicated um, or in the more like dramatic language, he actually says um, he's handing them over to Satan. Um, which he uses that phrase a couple times to describe what we would call excommunication from the church. Right. So we've got at least two men who are named false teachers that Paul seems to know um, who are being kicked out of the church for spreading false teaching. Hmm. Um, and at the end of, well, I should, I should back up and say, um, we're not going to do it, but if you were to go through first Timothy, just verse by verse, you would find that 50% of the letter is directly related to this issue of false teaching. Right. Right. So this is like dominating the concern of the letter. Um, it's dominating Paul's reason written and it's dominating why Timothy's even there to begin with. That is like his mm. job is to stomp out this false teaching. Um, and it's really serious. And we know it's serious because multiple times um, Paul says that because of this false teaching, people have actually uh, left the faith. Right. Mm. Um, so it's urgent and it's serious. And Paul is um, concerned. <laughs> He's concerned with what's going on. Um, uh, the, last, the last point I need to make about the setting, which is crucially important, is that even though we don't know much about the content of the false teaching, unfortunately, that's something that even though Paul and Timothy know, they don't share too many details about what the actual false teaching is. Um, we do know, and people on both sides of the discussion would agree with this, um, all the evidence in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy uh, point to women being the exclusive uh, targets of these hmm. false teachers. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, so when you go through these letters, um, women come up a lot as being deceived um, and led astray by these uh, by these false teachers. So again, hopefully in our minds, we're going, oh, that also seems to have to do with our target passage, which is about women and teachers. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I will just say uh, before we get yeah. into the passage that um, it just doesn't seem like a coincidence uh, that the one passage in scripture that we have about women teaching happens to be set in a church where they are struggling with false teaching specifically right. targeted towards women mm -hmm. seems like it might be connected yeah. yeah 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 and what's super interesting to think about as well is there's tons of different parts of scripture where paul talks about church order and how church order should be done right mm -hmm. and i would think that if this is a universal thing that he would want to like make a rule of that it would be continually mentioned over and over and over yeah. to different letters because he was planting churches in all these different areas, you know? Yeah. Getting rid of 50% yeah. of like your workers or people that can, that can teach is a pretty big deal. 
Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Um, you would see it in Acts. You would see it in uh, Paul's letters. Um, and that's a really great point. So we're sticking with this one verse. But when you're trying to make that decision between, uh, is it universal or not? You want to back up and say, okay, well, if it's universal, um, we'll probably see this taught multiple places throughout scripture. Right. right. Um, yeah. You don't make a lot of doctrines out of one place. That's pretty dangerous, right? Oh, we do. It's yes. the mark of the beast. It's <laughs> <laughs> another doctrine. Go to our last episode if you want to know more about, or two, two episodes, episodes ago. Two episodes ago, we talked about that. If you're curious about the mark of the beast, yeah, it's not what you think it is. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think American yeah, Christians are really good about stuff. making. Yeah, we're really good at making theology out of one verse. Yeah, uh, we were like in modern it. day Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I guess the thing that I come back to with this is at least approach it thinking, is there something else here? Um, I think what's frustrating is when people will quote this verse, like it's simple. The Bible says it. Um, It's clear as day. Uh, And then they'll read the verse um, without at least saying, Hey, uh, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe this is more complex than just assuming. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, and I feel like I feel like part of the reason people might decide to stick with the, I wouldn't necessarily call it the traditional view, but recently mm-hmm. traditional view of, oh, this says women can't teach in any church uh, or hold positions of authority. I would wonder if the reason people kind of stick to that is because the people who teach that seem to have a lot like, like confidence in why they're teaching and, and kind of explain where they're coming from and why they believe it means what they think it means. And I, ha- this is actually one of the first times like talking to you about it that I've ever heard a really in-depth understanding of the opposite view or the yeah. other view where it's like, oh, that's not actually saying that women can't teach. It's actually saying X, Y, Z, and we'll get into it as the show goes. Yeah. But this conversation is one of the only conversations I've really had or heard of a deep exege- exegesis of this scripture, scripture mm-hmm. that is integral and not just full of emotions. I feel like sometimes right. people who have the same opinions as us about it just, want to just it. yeah, they just they either get mad at the other side for their views and they don't want to talk to them, or it's just full of emotion, and so then it's not as highly maybe respected in the right. intellectual scholarly world or maybe yeah. people's minds. So I think what could what's going to help and like moving forward a lot for a lot of people is when we take a step back and try to see the scripture for what it is taking away our biases but also giving like mature i'd say logical and scholarly scholarly and and really well done work to understand this understand it in the way that we do yeah right which i think that that like after yesterday's conversation i was like holy cow that was really i I felt like i'm I'm, I'm excited for you to get into what we talked about even more because It's like so good. And I, and I think that you say it so well and you explain it in such a way that it's not full of them. It's not like this over emotional thing where it's like, well, I, because I'm a woman, I want to teach and I want to make it say that. You're like, well, actually, yeah, maybe it actually yeah. just says that, you know? Yeah. And you're, and so I think mm-hmm. if we have more teaching that's more like calm and collected and, and confident and, mm-hmm. and not, not just teaching because of what we want our opinions to be right, but really like having our opinions yeah. sign up with the Bible. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. we can change the narrative for the right. most part. Right. Yeah, I, I just want to tag onto that because I think you're hitting on something really important. Um, 
there are people who I agree with their conclusions on this passage, but I, for the wrong reasons, I should say, um, because there are for sure um, men and women who believe women should teach. And the reason they believe that is because I'm tearing this page out of my Bible. Right. And the, the only reason women should be able to teach is if that is approved by scripture. Right. Um, and so I think just starting that off and saying, hey, um, regardless of what we discover, hey, I really think this is what scripture is saying. We submit to that on both mm-hmm. sides. If we could get that as our foundation and then move from there, mm-hmm. it's going to be a much more fruitful discussion. And then also I should say, um, I think what's happened is when people hear this idea of women in ministry, they tend to clump uh, this with sort of a liberal movement, like a cultural movement in the church that just says anything goes. So it's almost like in their minds, when people hear, oh, a woman teaching the Bible, they're like, ah, disrespect for scripture. They don't care what the Bible says. They're caving to cultural norms. They just essentially they're just going with the cultural tide. And some people actually are. Like some people are like, yeah, I believe this, but it's, I don't know why I just, I don't like what the Bible says. And that's not a good enough reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think um, people actually will combine this issue with other issues like homosexuality. And they're like, Hey, what's next? It just, anything goes. Um, They've got to get lumped in with the box of progressivism. Mm -hmm. So I think actually like exegeting these passages uh, are helpful. Definitely. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Cool. Let's jump back into it. Okay. All right. So um, we're actually going to get into 1 Timothy 2. And in 1 Timothy 2, Paul gives gender-specific instructions. And he starts with the men first, and he calls them out for a couple of things. And when he talks to the men, his primary focus is on uh, anger and quarreling. And this is where we have that famous passage about um, men lifting up holy hands. Um, Yeah, I desire that men should pray lifting holy hands without anger, without quarreling. Um, And then Paul turns to the women and he actually spends a lot more time with the women. And we should already expect this. Um, There's more geared towards women in 1 Timothy than any other uh, letter in the New Testament. So the women are going to get a more detailed list of advice advice again it's too too loose of a word instruction Mm. um and he starts off talking about their dress um their hair things like that i'm not going to get into it it's a whole other conversation Um, but he starts talking about the way that they uh appear and about modesty Mm. and then that brings us to kind of our target passage which starts in verse 11 Mm. and i think what's helpful is just to go verse by verse yeah so verse 11 uh esv says let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness verse 11 let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness um it's interesting to note this is our only imperative in our passage this is the only command that paul actually gives directly um uh, let a woman learn and uh, some people point out correctly that this is would be considered fairly progressive already of Paul mm-hmm. to encourage the women in the church to learn. 
Um, hmm. Not so much in a Greek culture as it would have been in a Jewish culture right. where right. they actually have like prohibitions against women studying Torah. Uh, <laughs> the Ro- Greco-Roman world is a little bit more free for women. Um, and so while that is the case that uh, Paul is progressive in this way, the point of his, his, uh, the point of verse 11 isn't so much about women learning, but the way they should learn. Yeah. Um, and the manner that he describes is that they should learn quietly with all submissiveness. Mm-hmm. And uh, depending on what side of the camp you come from, when you read this, sometimes it can seem already like antique. Like you read it and you're like, quiet and submissive. Like, oh, I, women, Paul mm-hmm. is sexist already. Right. Here he is, showing his fall once again. Right. Um, and classic so just Paul. a few, yeah, classic Paul, <laughs> come on. Uh, Paul gets such a bad rap, honestly. Um, yeah, there's just so many people like that are like, I, I don't like Paul. And I'm like, can you even say that? Like, I don't I heard someone on a podcast say that. Yeah, I was listening to this podcast and a lot of people hate him. Yeah, this girl was like, she's a Christian. She's a Christian author. She's actually really well known. Um, but she's like, she's like, yeah, I just like, I just have a hard time reading Paul because I think he's mean. And I was like, you can't say that about, I was like, that's, this is the Bible. It's not, you don't think about it as Paul. That. Think about it as the inspired word of God. <laughs> you're saying the inspired word of god is mean which maybe it is if you have some preconceived notions that need to be worked out but yeah yeah paul my one of my professors in my undergrad uh wrote a book called paul behaving badly and the subtitle was like is paul a sexist chauvinist racist jerk or something like that was like the subtitle essentially playing off this thing that people read stuff like this and they're like why do the women need to learn quietly and submissively that's not fair you know Um, so just a few, a few notes about this. Okay. So first of all, when you, when you read the word quietly throughout this entire chapter, which the word comes up a few times, Mm. that is not the word for silence. Okay. There's another Greek word for silence. This is not that, um, Mm. it is referring to a quiet demeanor, calm, peaceful, Mm. uh, demeanor and actually a great example of this is at the beginning of the chapter in verse two paul encourages all believers to lead peaceful and quiet lives same word is quiet lives so right away we're not dealing with sorry that's a good distinction yeah yeah so we're not dealing with him saying um be silent um but you're going to learn submissively and with a quiet demeanor um so that distinction needs to be made. And then the second distinction that needs to be made is in the ancient worlds, and I would argue today, a good student, what marks a good student and what definitely did in the ancient world were these two characteristics. Mm. You are submissive to your teachers, your authority over you that's giving you the information, and mm. you are doing it in a calm, essentially humble uh, manner. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're out the ancient world, there's a lot of literature on students and how to learn. And this phrase, uh, quiet and submissive, they go together so frequently that uh, scholars believe this is actually an ancient Near Eastern formula for a good student. A good student is someone quiet and submissive. It's just how you describe a good student. Um, Rather than disruptive, uh, disrespectful, that's kind of the opposite side. Um, And they would even go so far as to say that a student who loves truth it's one who learns in quietness and, and mm. submission. Mm. So what we don't want to do is get so hung up on gender that we read this passage to mean women learn quietly and submissively. Men, you learn disruptively and whatever. Right. Um, yes, Paul is specifically calling out the women, 
Um, but the that doesn't mean that he wouldn't also give the same advice to the men if right. this was their issue. Hmm. They probably um, already had actually, that advice, just not written down, right? Say that again? They probably already had that advice, just not written down to us, right? Like it probably would have been common knowledge, like a man should learn in this way. Yeah, well, in, that, in the ancient world, that's like a fact. Like if you learn, yeah. you learn in this way. Right. And so mm -hmm. uh, to, to use an example, just because earlier, a few verses earlier, Paul says, oh, men, you should pray with holy hands. Paul wouldn't say, oh, women, you don't need to pray with holy hands. Like mm. he's not saying, yeah. oh, men, don't, don't quarrel. Women, you can quarrel. Like he's <laughs> distinguishing the men because that's their issue. They're quarreling and they're right. angry. Right. And then the women, he's like, you need to learn in this way. Um, and if we could actually, I know I'm going to jump around a little bit, but okay. one of the yeah. reasons he's, he's targeting women for this specific thing is, and I it's forgot to mention this sexist. earlier, right? See, you're doing right. it now. That's all right, right there. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, we know that the women are struggling with, uh, this for multiple reasons, but one of the most, uh, key verses is in actually chapter five. Paul brings correction to um, widows, especially young widows. Hmm. And he calls them out for, I'm assuming Timothy is the one who let him know this is what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But he says, they have learned to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Hmm. So we see that the women in the church have this issue of um, going from house to house, saying things they should not. And what's interesting is, um, I mentioned this last night, in the ESV, uh, Paul says, oh, they're gossips and busybodies. Mm. And those words are so innocent to me. Like, yeah. I, I shouldn't be. But like when I hear like, oh, a busybody, I really think like, um, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like a little old lady next door is like, too right, a classic she wants mom to know your grandma. business. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay, maybe you shouldn't, but it's not that big of a deal. Um, so one of my favorite Bible scholars of all time, Gordon Fee, uh, he mm -hmm. did this massive word study on this Greek word for busybody. Mm -hmm. And he literally looked at every usage um, in ancient Greek literature for this one word. And what he found oh. is that in the majority of the cases, this word is used to describe spreading false teaching. Mm, wow. So this adds another layer, and I meant to talk about this at the beginning. This adds a whole other layer of not just women being targeted with false teaching, but women most likely spreading this false right. teaching the as they go yeah. from house to house. Yeah. And this actually fits the context because in the very next verse, Paul says, uh, some have already strayed after Satan. So we see that this whole idea of being a gossip and a busybody is not um, innocent, and it actually mm -hmm. has very severe consequences of people essentially le leaving the faith or straying mm -hmm. after Satan. Mm -hmm. Wow. Pretty big deal. Um, so, yeah, it's a big deal. So yeah. now that we know that this is going on, we go back to this idea of let the women learn quietly and submissively. Mm -hmm. um, it makes more sense why he's targeting them and not the men. Yeah, definitely. And it's not that he doesn't talk about talk to the men about spreading false teaching. Like, I, I don't know if you mentioned it in this uh, yet, but like, yeah, you were saying that yesterday that he calls out by name two people who are guys who are spreading false teaching. At the beginning, actually, yeah. mentioned it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
yeah oh yeah he's not um he's actually much more gracious on on the women I think he sees them more as um I don't want to use the word victims because he holds them accountable but he does see them more as victims in the sense that they're not excommunicated um they've been Mm -hmm. led astray um they need to be corrected but not like these two false teachers who Paul's like get them out right Um, yeah yeah he's definitely not he's not so harsh on the women for sure right Uh, pretty even um okay so that's verse 11 and that leads us right into verse 12 which um is i I think i've said this before probably one of the most disputed passages Mm. in scripture um i went to write my paper on this and i expected there to be a lot of literature on it but it's insane like how many like Mm -hmm. books are written on a verse um right (laughs) so here it is verse 12 i do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I want to do is I want to say a little bit about the grammar of this verse, and then we'll talk about authority first, and then teaching. Those are kind of the two parts, authority and teaching. Okay. Um, I'm sounds not going to say much. Go ahead. I was just saying, sounds good. I'm not going to say much about that last part. Uh, she is to remain quiet, except that it's the same word that we talked about already. Um, the idea is a quiet demeanor, quiet life, uh, humility, right. uh, that type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, an interesting note about the, uh, the I guess you could say the, the grammar. Um, so verse 11 is an imperative. So Paul gives a command in verse 11, uh, let the women learn. And then in verse 12, he switches to a present tense indicative where he says, I do not permit. Um, Another way you could read this is I am not permitting. It's present tense. Um, You could also translate this. I am not now permitting. I am Mm. not currently permitting. Mm. Um, And this is interesting because as a lot of scholars have pointed out, um, the way the sentence is phrased in that it's a present tense um, indicative is not what you would expect to find with a universal command or a universal um, instruction. That's not to say that it's impossible, but it's surprising. You're kind of like, oh, that's not what I would expect for a universal piece of instruction. Um, Because Paul specifically is using a tense that's saying, right now, at this moment, I am not permitting. Now, of course, it's entirely possible that Paul would say, yeah, I'm not permitting. I never permitted, and I will never permit. But all we have here is him saying, right now, I am not permitting. Mm. So it definitely like opens the door and I would say even nudges us towards a specific command that's like culturally Mm. specific. Not an open shut case, but it's interesting and scholars and linguists will bring this up all the time. Mm -hmm. Interesting to know. Um, Okay, so that brings us to this issue of authority. Um, I do not permit um, a woman to teach, we're going to skip over that for a minute, or to exercise authority. Mm. Um, It's hard to overstate how much this one word is debated Mm. among scholars and translators and linguists. Um, Mm. This word, I I didn't know actually when I started this journey that this one word was just going to open up another cavern of resources to read. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, and so this, this word's hotly contested, and I'm going to do my best to sort of explain the conversation and around this word. 
there's essentially two interpretations you can take when it comes to this Greek word, which is authenteo. It's a Greek, Greek verb, authenteo. There's two uh, directions you can take with this word. On the one hand, you can take it to mean something positive or neutral, on the one hand. Um, those who take authenteo to mean something positive or neutral interpret this passage to mean that there are good positions of a valid authority. There's nothing wrong with them. The only thing wrong is when a woman holds that position. So authority is good. The only problem is women with authority. Right. That's mm -hmm. the problem. Right. So that's actually what we read in the ESV. Um, I think you guys pulled up a couple other translations that had similar wording. Um, yeah. ESV mm -hmm. uses the term to exercise authority. I read exercise authority. I'm like, that's a positive. Like it's good to exercise right. authority. The only problem is women exercising authority. Right. Um, but yeah. men can, right? That's, that's what you walk away with, right? Yeah. Um, on the other hand, there's actually a growing number of New Testament scholars who take this word to be something negative or pejorative. Mm -hmm. And they would say, no, this word needs to be translated um, as, there's a range, to domineer, mm -hmm. uh, to dominate, or most popularly, mm -hmm. to usurp authority, to mm -hmm. take authority yeah. that doesn't belong to you. Yeah, very different connotations there. Very different connotations. And people who will take this approach um, to this word will say, okay, well, there's, this isn't talking about God, um, Paul forbidding anybody from having proper authority. Um, what he's prohibiting is something negative that really he would mm -hmm. prohibit anyone, regardless of their gender, from doing. Right. Because it's in its own nature, it's negative. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I'm trying to walk you through the, the case for this. Um, yeah. So first of all, this word, authenteo, is what scholars call a hapax legomenon, which mm -hmm. means it only Classic. occurs... Everyone knows that word. Exactly. And it's fun to throw out, you know, especially that last one, <laughs> legomenon. It's just like legomenon. legomenon. Is fun. legomenon How do you say you it? Legomenon. Hapax legomenon. <laughs> hapax legomenon. Wow. Sounds like a My new gamer song. Dad. Word of the day. Put that in your bio. Hapax legomenon. <laughs> Um, meaning it appears once in the Bible, mm -hmm. in scripture, yeah. only here in this one verse. Okay. So that, that already should pique our interest and we should go, oh, odd. Paul talks about authority a number of times. Why in this one instance, does he not use his typical word for proper authority, uh, which is exus exousia? Exousia? No, exousia, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, that's how he normally, that's the word he normally chooses to describe, you know, positive 40. authority. He hmm. doesn't hear, he uses a word that he's never used before that we right. uh, possess. So already he never uses afterwards. And doesn't use afterwards. So already we're like, okay, what's going on here? Um, right, yeah. Interesting. So because it's a papex legomenon, hmm. we have to look outside of the bible to figure out how to interpret the word right um turns out this is the first time in greek literature that the word appears that we have mm. um, but it does appear over 300 times after mm. um, and so linguists go through all of these instances and their contexts 
to best determine the range of meaning for this word. Mm -hmm. um, and what they find is really interesting. Um, so it turns out the word has a, a variety of potential meanings. Um, and I'm going to go through some of them. Murder, this is one of the first uses, murder, forceful domination, mm -hmm. the perpetration of a crime, this comes up a lot, usurping power, this comes up a lot, and acts of violence. Yeah. So, so far, all negative, all pejorative, mm -hmm. nothing to suggest a positive view of authority until we get to late third century, fourth century. So, so hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years after Paul. Now, if you yeah. take the case that Paul did not write this letter, you're like, oh, perfect. But for the most of the people in this conversation, we all agree, Paul's the author of this letter. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking hundreds of years after Paul, in every case, we're looking at something that's negative, pejorative, and really has nothing to do with an office or a church, uh, church office. Mm. And actually, none of the cases, doesn't matter how far you go, none of the cases ever use this word to describe a pastoral office or any um, hmm. church office at all. Right. Um, oh. So odd. It, it's an yeah. odd uh, situation. And this isn't new. So if you go to Bible translations before the 1940s, um, most of them translate this word not as exercise authority, but as dominate, um, usurp authority so king james version if you look up the classic king james right. version they're going to translate it usurp authority uh, because mm -hmm. they did this word search too so they they used to translate it this way and then in the 1940s um it was translated as authority and that's been kind of the main translation yeah. from then on yeah after um, you said this last night i went to my little yeah. bible into the strongs and the definition is the exact same like the number one definition for authentic was to kill someone with your own hands or to kill yourself with your own hands. Oh, it was so intense. Yeah. Um, it's so not like it's it, kind of negative. <laughs> yeah. Is there um, a known reason why it was like, was there like papers written in uh, at the time about why it was changed from usurp to have authority? Yes. Um, there's a study that is cited. Um, the scholar's last name is Knight, mm -hmm. um, K N I G H T. He did a study McKnight? on the word. I guess it's at night, not McKnight. Or someone no, McKnight. Scott McKnight. Yeah, I've heard a Scott lot. Scott McKnight is the man. Um, yeah, he's also, he agrees with me in this interpretation. Oh, um, there we go. Uh, <laughs> so definitely not him. Um, not him. Uh, I don't want to say what I don't, I don't know, but he, there was yeah, a guy, fine. he did yeah. a big, a big uh, paper uh, or article on this and people will refer back to the same uh, study that he did. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know when you guys like post this conversation, I have articles. If you want to just read like word studies, if so, there might be someone right. out there that's like, I want to dive into Authentio. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And I just looked up the King James right now, like yeah. 2021 King James says still, still says you, sir. Yeah. So, does it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I actually genuinely think, um, in the next few years, there, as we revise translations, we'll see that more and more. Because a lot of these big, massive studies have been done uh, recently to kind of bring this back up and say, hey. Change it back to a negative connotation. Yeah. 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 I'm just curious just why it was like. a stronger case to be. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd be curious. Well, why you know, you could you could get a little. I mean, my biased opinion is um, <laughs> in the 1940s, gender roles became super hot topic in the church, and like mm-hmm. appropriate male female roles. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's around the time we started to see a shift in the right. way things are translated. Right. right. Um, but Makes that's sense. my personal soapbox. Um, yeah. Okay, so but this is this is super important, and I and I I just want to highlight how important this is, with the way you go with this word, just to bring us back to the importance of this verse. This is the verse, um, the core verse that is used to keep women from holding mm-hmm. roles of authority in the church. Right. Mm-hmm. So that includes uh, leading worship, it, depending on your church, leading worship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, leading communion, uh, performing a baptism, obviously mm. teaching, teaching an adult Sunday school, leading a home group in your house. Um, right. And it's also led very, very well-known um, scholars to suggest, hey, if you're a woman, you should also think twice about being a CEO of a company, being a manager at a store, becoming a police officer, right? Like you should right. think twice because you might be putting yourself in a position where you are in authority over a man. And Mm -hmm. this is the verse. And so really like, this is a word that's never used anywhere else, but here. And it really matters because it changes the way you look at this of what Paul's actually doing here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Super crucial. Entirely. Yeah. 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 I remember yesterday when you said that you're like, often too has been used like once in the Bible and then not really for for like maybe a hundred years or, Mm -hmm. and then like became more mainstream. It was like the only time it was used. That's like a really big deal. And the fact that it, it, it mm-hmm. does mean like domineering or use of authority, it's like, holy cow, that changes. Mm-hmm. Like, it almost takes a rug out from under the people who hold the view that women can't have authority. You know, I feel like that kind of leaves them with very little ground to stand on because you said this is like the verse that they use. Right. This is the foundational verse. Um, for sure, they'll pull from other verses, but right. mm-hmm. this is the primary one. Um, through which the other verses are interpreted. Yeah, and I think at yeah. the very least, and I keep coming back to this, at the very least, let's not just quote this verse like ah, the Bible says and just say it as if it's so clear. Um, right. Like, oh, women can't have authority over men, First Timothy 2, and just say it like it's settled. Mm. I mean, there's just nothing that right. irritates mm. me more. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like at least yeah. acknowledge it's complex. Even if you're like, yeah, but still I go this other way. Like, okay, well, right. at least you've looked into it. Then I'm happy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can keep, keep on going, but I, I'd be really curious to uh, at some point get to the connection to, and I think, I'm sure you still want to, the connection to the Adam and Eve and the creation and why Paul appeals to that. Cause like we were yeah, saying okay. before, that's a, <laughs> it's a big that's reason. The teaching part. Yeah. After yeah. the teaching, I want to. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So to kind of bring it around to kind of the last portion. So we've, we've dealt with the authority part or at least talked about it a little bit. Um, the other big thing, I guess we're going backwards in verse 12 is to teach. I do not permit a woman to teach, um, or to exercise authority over a man. Um, and so the question is, okay, well, well, what does Paul mean when he says, I don't permit, or I'm not permitting a woman to teach. Um, I actually agree with the traditional view that what Paul is asking for here is for Timothy to put a stop to the women in Ephesus Mm -hmm. teaching like just full on, they're not going to teach. Again, this is going to fit with what Timothy's, what's Timothy's job there? Stop false teaching. The women probably are spreading false teaching. Here we have Paul saying, 
I'm not permitting the women to teach. They're going to, this is stopping right now. They're not teaching anymore. Um, so in that way, I do agree with the traditional interpretation that Paul is calling for a full stop for women to teach. Where we differ is that the, I guess I'm using the term traditional view. I don't know if that's the correct way to say it, but the traditional view will say, this is universal. So not only should the Ephesian women stop teaching, um, but all women for all times should not teach. Right. Um, where I will say, no, this is based on a specific situation. Hmm. Um, and the reason, and this gets into what you're talking about, Ethan, um, the big reason that I've at least heard and read about is uh, those who hold the traditional view will appeal to verses 13 and 14 as a reason for why this has to be a universal command. So let's just read uh, 13 and 14. Paul says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so the argument, I want to do it justice. The argument is, Paul appeals to the created order. Adam was made first, then Eve. And that's the reason women shouldn't teach. Right. And so they'll say, because he's refer he's kind of appealing to this pre-fall creation story, it has to be universal because you are still descended from Eve and you are still descended from Adam. Nothing has changed. So what would make this culturally specific? Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? Like the appeal yeah. to that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is a big argument. They're like, this is kind of how we can slam dunk. No, this is universal. Mm -hmm. um, and so then they're left with trying to reason through why uh, women can't teach. And it has been the constant uh, traditional view throughout church history that the reason women cannot teach is because um, they were created with a lesser intellect and a lesser capacity for critical thinking yeah which is which is big claims because i think the only verse that they would have to maybe even try to prove that is that paul says they're a weaker vessel which we could yeah. talk about like what that would we don't have to in this episode but i'm saying there is a conversation about what that would even mean yeah but like to claim that that god inherently made women less intelligent I just don't see that in right. any scripture. So it just seems like something they're pulling out to try to. Mm -hmm. Well, to they're hurt. looking for a rationale. So what right. they see is this passage teaches because of how Adam and Eve are created, women can't teach. So then mm -hmm. they're left saying, okay, why though? And throughout church history, the traditional has been that like ontologically, like females are created mm -hmm. with lesser intellect, less, mm -hmm. lesser ability to like, reason um and actually in one of the books uh that i studied for this goes through just quotes throughout church history up until about the 70s 80s um and then recently there's definitely been like a softening of this mm -hmm. view because it just it does not <laughs> it doesn't land well uh mm. uh today to be like hey uh you are just inherently dumb um, <laughs> it doesn't reflect uh it doesn't affect like more uh what do you call it just like normal studies on intelligence right mainstream right. studies yes uh, it does run into the problem of not matching reality um mm -hmm. 
So uh, there's a, a scholar who sort of softened this approach, and it's actually a scholar that I really respect, uh, Dr. Schreiner. He's an amazing Bible scholar. He takes the traditional view. And so he sort of softened this a little bit by saying, and I'm going to read a quote from him. Um, he says, the reason that women can't teach is because they um, have a kinder nature and are, quote, less prone than men to see the importance of doctrinal formulations, especially when it comes to the issue of identifying heresy and making a stand for the truth. Mm. So it's similar. He's not saying you're less intelligent. I mean, definitely not saying that. But he's saying because of your like kinder, gentler nature mm. as females, um, you're less likely to care about truth than a mm. man. And that's why God from the beginning has ordained this thing. Mm. Um, so I would say there's a, a few um, issues with this argument. Um, first of all, again, this is nothing to do with scripture. I'm, I'm pulling from outside of scripture, but uh, Derry, you already mentioned this. Um, there are actually many thorough studies that psychologists have done on what makes someone easily deceived, like several very thorough studies on what are the factors that make someone easily or difficult, easily deceived or difficult to deceive. Yeah. Gender is not one of them. Hmm. Gender is not one of them. Hmm. Um, instead, what has been found is, is exactly what you would expect. Age. Those who are younger in age uh, will be more easily deceived, right? A child is going to be more easily deceived. Experience, that goes hand in hand with age. Uh, life experience, socialization. Uh, are you really sheltered or have you gotten out and seen more? Uh, someone who's more sheltered, less experienced, less socialized, they're going to be more easily deceived. Um, personality definitely plays a part in this. Um, and then education is a big one. Uh, how well you've been educated. This doesn't surprise us, right? This matches reality. Um, mm -hmm. These are all factors that might make someone more susceptible to deception. Gender is not one of them. Mm. Um, in fact, across the board, if there is a slight advantage, it does go to adult women. Um, mm. Not much, but there is a, if it's going to go one way, it goes a little bit yeah. more towards women. Being, yeah, um, but not by much. So already we're like, ah, I don't know. I don't necessarily see this matching reality, which you've already pointed mm. out. The second thing that I have an issue with this uh, argument is uh, if Eve was deceived and that's why she can't teach, um, Adam was willfully and fully right. knowing and rebelled. So that doesn't mm -hmm. disqualify him. So already you're like, oh, that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense. Like, oh, you can teach if you uh, willfully rebel, Willing but not yeah, if you've been yeah. deceived or confused. So, so women that, just need again, to willfully rebel and you're fine. No, I've made the wrong choice. <laughs> wrong choice. Doomed forever. That does not reflect <laughs> so. the reality of my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the most important is how do we deal with Paul's appeal to this creation? Like what's going on with this creation? Mm -hmm. Why does he reference Adam and Eve? What is going on here? Um, and first of all, I just want to kick back a little bit against this uh, assumption that I think is made a lot that, oh, because Paul mentions creation, it's universal. Mm. Um, I would say no. And we know this because um, if you've read all of Paul's writings, you know, mm. Paul loves to use Old Testament stories and references mm. to uh, illustrate his points. Right. 
And he also loves to use the creation account to illustrate his points. Hmm. And there's two that I think are really relevant. Um, the first one, I'm not going to read the passage, but it's from 1 Corinthians 11, specifically verses 6 through 10. This is the issue of women covering their hair when they publicly pray or prophesy. And Paul is going to appeal to the created order to support his culturally specific instructions. I think everyone agrees culturally specific instructions to cover Mm -hmm. your hair when you pray and prophesy. So right away, we're like, okay, but Paul has used the creation narrative already to support culturally specific instructions. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's doing that here. Um, the second one, I like this one um, even better. First uh, Corinthians 11, no, sorry, second Corinthians 11, verse three. Uh, Paul uses this deception of Eve um, in Genesis chapter three, mm. again, to call out false teachers. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, um, this is what the verse says, verse three. He says, I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Hmm. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually compares people believing false teaching to Eve Hmm. being tempted by Satan. So he's already set the stage for this illustration um, of false teaching. And in 2 Corinthians, it's not gender specific. So Hmm. you as a male could be like Eve in that you're led astray by false teaching in that case. So already we have this wonderful precedent of Paul using these stories to illustrate what's going on in a specific case. Mm. Yeah. So that brings us to my interpretation, (laughs) (laughs) which is smarter people than my interpretation. And I'm repeating it, Um, Mm. which is that Paul is using the creation story as an illustration or an analogy for what is going on in the church in Ephesus. Mm. Um, so he points out that Adam is created before Eve, but Satan does not deceive Adam, uh, or you could translate it. He does not tempt Adam. He does not deceive Adam. Instead, he waits until Eve is created and he targets her. He comes after Eve specifically, which is interesting. Yeah. And so Paul, what I believe Paul's highlighting here is just like that scenario, the false teachers, They could target the men, but they have specifically chosen to target the women with their false teaching. So in this Mm. analogy, I think he's actually comparing the false teachers to Satan himself. Mm. Sorry, I'm talking really fast, but ironically, he also calls the false teacher Satan in this letter. So it also seems like an analogy he's using here. Oh, he's called them Satan. He's called their teaching, uh, the teaching of devil, of the devil. Mm. Um, So what I think he's doing is he's comparing these false teachers with the serpent in the garden who isn't going after the men, but going after Eve and is deceiving her. Mm. And that's why the women shouldn't be teaching in the church because just like Eve, they have been deceived by these false Mm. teachers. Mm. And uh, the difference between my view and the traditional view is the reason that they were targeted in Ephesus is not because they're ontologically inferior right right but because of their age their experience their socialization um their education um i believe that the women in general in ephesus were more easily deceived than the men 
but mm-hmm. not because of their gender, but because in their culture, women are married 14 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. Men are married uh, early 30s, mm-hmm. like a 15 year mm-hmm. age gap. Yeah. Uh, women's education stops at same age, 14. Hmm. men aren't considered fully educated in the greco-roman world until their late 20s so they have like a decade of education Hmm. almost onto not almost a decade of of education more so than the women not to mention socialization like in the ancient world a woman is like not experienced they're not out in the world Hmm. um all of these factors now knowing what we know about deception we look back and we're like these guys were easy targets like these false teachers would yeah. come into, especially these young widows' homes, and just hmm. give them this garbage teaching, and and they're hmm. believing it. Yeah. Not because, yeah, I, I've said it already. Because of these factors that are hmm. culturally specific, um, and so uh, we have a situation where Paul essentially, what I believe Paul's doing in this passage is he's saying, Timothy, you need to stop false teaching in Ephesus. And the way you're going to do that is you're going to excommunicate the false teachers. And then you're going to put a stop to these women who are spreading the false teaching. They're not going to teach anymore. Instead, they're going to learn. So church authority is going to teach them. The church leaders are going to teach them. They're going to learn. Um, They're not going to be teachers. Um, We're not going to duplicate what he and he illustrates as what happened in the fall. Um, And for those reasons, I think this passage is culturally specific and therefore needs to be modified before applied to our church today mm. makes a lot of sense Great what would you say sentence right there that whole yeah. the, that, the summation sentence of that <laughs> you write that out oh, that's good no but i've probably written it out at some point yeah. yeah yeah what would you say would be the application then of like this verse or these like set of verses um if it's not that women just can't teach for all time mm-hmm but rather that it was culturally specific, what would the message be to us as we're reading these verses then? Such a good question. Any opinions? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's important that we still apply the passage. I think it frustrates me sometimes when people say, oh, it's culturally culturally specific, almost like I don't need to think about it. Right. Um, I know head covering is another topic, but even head coverings, there's something to be applied there, just not directly. So with this passage, I 100% think that there is an application. And uh, if I could go just to verse chapter one, verse seven, um, when Paul is calling out these false teachers, he says they want to be teachers without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the root issue here are people who want to be teachers. They love the idea of talking of going from house to house, of being important. Um, and yet when they open their mouth, it's obvious they haven't studied. Right. They're speaking without understanding. And now it's causing problems. And it's one thing to be a teacher who doesn't know what they're talking about when they're doing cooking lessons. Mm. Uh, but this is the gospel. And so what I think yeah. we should walk away with is this heavy um, responsibility and weight involving teaching scripture. Mm-hmm. I genuinely like I I feel this um mm. I feel this every time I get up to teach the weight of it the responsibility mm. of it 
Yeah. Um, I also lead a, a Bible school and we're inviting teachers to speak and choosing who to speak, vetting speakers, making sure that, hey, in the school, we're having people come that are qualified and experienced and can share based on a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah, just to revere that position of teaching scripture and to, um, to not let everyone teach. And to some people say, hey, not yet, not yet. Instead, why don't you learn? And we want you to learn. Why don't you study and study hard and learn from amazing teachers? And then maybe one day you'll teach. Um, and so I think if Paul were here today, I'm going to recruit Paul. Um, I think if Paul were here today, um, he would um, be much more concerned with unqualified teachers than women teachers or female teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he would much more promote a qualified woman who's speaking truth than a, a man who's speaking without understanding. And I think right. that's really the core issue rather than a gender thing. Yeah. And as you're saying that, um, right now we've talked a little bit outside the show about the, uh, the show, The Rise and Fall of Marcel, the podcast. Um, yeah. One of the first things they said in the first episode was the reason that like so much toxicity happened in the churches because you had this young leader who was full of passion mm. who they put and gave a platform to but mm. they, he, he didn't have like a care or a deep character development right mm. and so yeah, he just gave all this influence to someone who had a lack of character and he was young and, and passionate mm. right and so as you're saying that, I'm kind of reminded of that where it kind of seems like the deep character comes along with deep study right like I feel mm. like if you study a lot and, and then apply it you would grow your character and so it seems like we kind of have this, we, it doesn't seem like we're rid of this problem, you know, I don't think the church will ever be rid of this problem yeah. Oh, yeah. where we have people who are loud, confident speakers without actual wisdom mm. or character to them that always causes problems, mm. you know, and, and what I think is interesting is that we dealt with it in the first couple of decades of the church and we're dealing with it mm. like two millennia from the start yeah. of the church, yeah. you know, yeah. and so I think that should like kind of raise our awareness and peak our ears a bit to be like, oh, okay, so like, we always have to watch out for not only people around us, like if we're su subjecting ourselves to teachers who maybe are making these like a false teachers who are making these loud accusations without understanding, but then yeah. making sure that because it seems like such a prevalent problem, are we ever becoming that accidentally, hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think there's good. a huge application that can be made for everyone in the body of Christ, you yeah. know, and I'm reminded of James where he says, I wish that not all of you become teachers because then you know we're held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, a good it's a big deal. Serious verse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Cool. Mm -hmm. Any uh, any other thoughts on the subject you want to share? Um I think it's a big topic, but yeah. I think I think it's it kind of like I was sharing like last night we were talking. I just think that it is such an important uh, issue. Mm -hmm and it matters. And I don't think it should be relegated to sort of a women's issue. Um, right. I think if you're a Christian, you want to be concerned with this question. And um, actually, if I have talked so much, but um, there's a quote uh, I love, and uh, I just read that, and then that'll be the last thing that I, I don't need to talk too much more. But um, again, one of my favorite scholars, Craig Keener, he's written a lot on women in ministry. And in one of his books, he wrote, um, as members of the body of Christ, we are all called to look out for one another's interests. And if certain ministries are denied to half or over half of God's people, that should yeah. concern all of us. 
for the ministry of the entire body of Christ will surely suffer from this denial. Good. That's good. And then you have some resources as well, right? There yeah. were some books that you wanted to share. Maybe. Yes. All we right. Just swivel off. <laughs> <laughs> I do two books. Um, uh, one is called Paul and Gender by Cynthia Westfall. And uh, she traces, she talks a lot about First Timothy, but she really goes through, starting in Genesis, almost mm. every verse, I think, that deals with kind of women's issues, wow. including um, uh, family roles as well, which is mm. a, a different Oh, topic. interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then the other one, um, this is a book by William Webb uh, called Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. And this one actually isn't so much about women's ministry directly. It's about how do we answer the question, is this passage universal or culturally specific? And this book is about how to have a consistent hermeneutic that helps you make those decisions when you read the Bible confidently. Um, and so he uses the issue of slavery, women, and homosexuality as like test cases and works through that hermeneutic with each of these three topics. Really, really good. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And then we got one final question. Yeah, one final question. You know what it is. Okay. I do. I'm prepared. One melee weapon. <laughs> what, what's the biggest? And we should start adding most dangerous because a giraffe is not dangerous. Yeah, scaled. Um, yeah, what's the biggest and most dangerous animal you can take down with any given realistic melee weapon? I, so I'm sticking with my answer, but I, you should know that last night I was literally like, could I take something bigger? And I was like, trying <laughs> to think of, I was literally like, yeah. could I think, and I try just imagining animals are going through my mind, like a bear, a lot. I'm like, yeah. no, oh, no. you can't take Absolutely a bear or not. Yeah. No, no well, no, clearly, yeah. you know, come in here like polar bear. Well, David. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, David's so I, I think I'm going to stick <laughs> my husband. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with um, alligator nice. and I'm going to go with, I think, I mean, I would, t I'd be open to your input, but I think just like a, a regular sword. Hmm. All right. Just get behind it. And... Yeah. Simple as I that. That's a strong, that's a strong I answer. I still just, I don't know if you understand how hard it is to get behind the alligator. You said just get behind it and. Yeah, no, it's, they can't <laughs> turn very fast. Ethan, please. Also, Watch have you seen how fast I am? You're, you're just going to sprint around it real quick. Yeah, you've never seen her run, have you? That's true. Yeah. I've never seen her run. Yeah. What's, mean, your, what's your like lightning. meter? <laughs> yeah. And even if you did anything behind it, if it's coming straight towards you, you just freaking stab it in the mouth. That's true. So long as it's so not something bite. longer. Yeah. You know the bite. We'll just go right in. Yeah. Doesn't matter. They break turtle shells. That's snapping your sword. Don't want to get them out. Okay. Actually, yeah. You have just eat part of it. I still got the rest of my sword. I can stab it. I mean, I could, I could definitely do it. Lord of the Rings out here? Yeah. <laughs> Cutting people up with a broken sword. <laughs> I'll be fine. If my life was on the line, I know I could do it. Yeah. And it would yeah. be on the line. That's true. Yeah, I think when, once the adrenaline pumps, I think we're a lot more capable. Right. And you still stick with your answer? You said a small, yeah. uh, what did you say? A large cat with a broadsword? Yep. A small, a small house cat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a mountain lion. And it's harder more... to kill a small house cat than a mountain lion with a, a large sword. Yeah, a mountain lion seems easier than a lion, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I'm but still... Whew, a cat. Oof. I mean, also mountain lions aren't those. Don't you just get really big and scream and they run away though? No, but the point is you're fighting it to the death. It's not running. It's trying to kill you. Eventually, yeah, it's fair. gonna turn. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm still going with uh, a nice <laughs> dagger and then a, and a hyena. Mm. I'll have to piece that guy up. Yeah, there. I need like a, I need like a two okay, foot blade. Okay, that's better than I thought. I need a two foot blade uh, minimum or max around two feet because okay. it's going to close that distance fast. And I'm going to have to be able to stab it. Mm. Wow. I'm going to take a bear with some brass knuckles. Someone's going to that eventually. Kangaroo. Yeah. I guess you could take a kangaroo. If I had to, I think so. I'm pretty sure they're really violent. Uh... Have you seen the the video of the, the guy Australian guy. guy who punched him in the face? Yeah. 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 That's Absolutely. me. Perhaps not yeah, No, Australians are just insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're crazy. We should actually interview an Australian and then ask them this question, see if they say. Yeah, that'd be awesome. They're like, known weapons, kangaroo. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> cool. But yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this uh, spontaneously because the uh, recording messed up. This is. Yep. You guys, literally, Abby's awesome. We, yeah. I text her the second time. Yeah, I text her and said, "Yo, sad news, the audio <laughs> didn't sad. record." And then, like, like thirty minutes later, we we're like, "Okay, so like one thirty? Are we good for one thirty? And I was like, "Wow, that was yeah. super helpful. That yeah. saved our week." Of, no worries. I knew we just yeah. had to like just do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for taking unexpected, unexpected time out of your day to. To sit with us again for another hour and a half mm-hmm. and discuss this. I do think it's super beneficial. Yesterday when we were leaving the office, there was like, I think it was the most informative podcast yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Top three, yeah. Yeah, top three for sure. So we're super excited. We're really excited for this to get out and have a bunch of people listen to it. For those of you who have stuck around, mm-hmm. this is I hope you have also thought it's been just as informative. Send it to all the women you know, make their day. Or men. Yeah. And men who don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, everyone have a great week. Abby, have a great day. I'm sure I'll see you at we'll see you around. Yeah. Base. See you around. Like maybe <laughs> we'll leave the office and see you in five minutes. Who knows? See you in five but, minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you guys have a great week. Uh, come back. We got a Patreon if you find this content valuable and you want to support the show even more and yep. help us reach a larger audience. You know, that can also be helped by commenting, liking, subscribing, sharing, mm. following. All those good things that every YouTuber you watch says. Yeah. So uh, thank you and enjoy your week, everybody. Mm. See ya. Bye.